Ladies and gentlemen, this is Book Music, and I am Tosh. And I'm Kimley. And each episode, we discuss a book about music. It could be about music history. It could be a music biography, a memoir from a musician, or a biography of a musician, or even a fictional character who is a musician in a work of fiction. And today, today, we will talk about a book called Sweet Dreams from Club Culture to Style Culture, The Story of the New Romantics by Dylan Jones, published by Faber and Faber in the year 2020. A brand new book. And this book is about the New Romantics. And how do we explain the New Romantics to, to our listeners who may not know what a New Romantic is? Mm, that's a good question. Okay, I'll try. Okay, you go for it, Tosh. Okay, and you correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> New Romantics is basically British orientated. Or it's from from London, to be specifically, and other parts of England. And New Romantics was a post-punk social art style fashion movement, who had numerous clubs at the time. Uh, the two most famous clubs, I believe, was the Blitz. And the other one was the Billy Club. Was that the name of it? The Billy Club? I think the Billy Club was the, yeah, the first one, right? And then the yeah, Blitz. And, then, and then the Blitz. There were a the, few others after that. But yeah. The Blitz Club is sort of the, the core nucleus uh, where most of it started. And Newark is, is a very difficult term for Americans um, because I think on the American side, we think of New Romantics as possibly part of the new wave in music. And it is and it isn't. But I'm trying to be more specific. The New Romantics is basically um, the individuals in the New Romantics were one-time punk rock people, most cases, mm-hmm. British punk rock, mm-hmm. and they sort of move on um, to this other stage of, um, of of something more visual, something kind of more dynamic, mm-hmm. and the music has changed from from like punk guitar oriented music to synth pop or synthesizers or early electronics and pop music. Mm-hmm. And it was a very much of a social um, life, a social group, a very tight s- social circle. Mm-hmm. And some of the key people involved in the New Romantics is uh, Boy George from Culture Club, mm-hmm. uh, Gary Kemp from uh, Spando Ballet, uh, and then uh, Midger, who was in the second version of Ultravox, and Ultravox itself, the second version of Ultravox. There's sort of two versions of Ultravox. The first one was John Fox, the singer. And then when he left, Midger took over. And Ultravox sort of became more of a new romantic band of sorts. Mm-hmm. And then the lead singer of a band, or not really a band, a group called Visage. Mm-hmm. And that was Steve Strange. And Steve Strange was sort of the visual point of the new romantics he was sort of the main new romantic guy he was the he was new romantic right well he's one of the guys who started the blitz club as well. so he started the blitz club with his friend rusty egan who was a drummer right. and he was the doorman yes that's sort of an interesting story in that you know it was yes. tough to get into this club you had to have a certain look you couldn't look like anybody else and no I think that's sort of a big part of where the whole visual element came in. I mean, you weren't even allowed to step foot in the club if you didn't have that visual aspect. Man. You know, you know, try to get in was uh, Mick Jagger. 
I know. Well, and he was wearing trainers, as they like to call them in England. Yes, trainers. Or athletic shoes, but yeah. And, and, Steve, <laughs> and Steve Train says, uh-uh. Yeah, no. well, I would have said uh-uh, too. That's one of my things as well. Uh, and, yeah. You only wear trainers when you're exercising. <laughs> I, I'm sure Mick Jagger said, but I am Mick Jagger. Oh, and Steve Train said, that doesn't mean anything here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, it's... But Steve Strange, you know, he, he is the, you know, there's one main character. I mean, this is, this, first of all, Sweet Dreams is an oral history book, mm-hmm. like, um, like uh, Please Kill Me or um, Edie. Those are two famous uh, oral history books. Right. And we did an oral history book, I think, on, on Joy Division, with oral history, right? mm-hmm. an earlier episode yeah. of, um, of uh, book music. Right. So what do you do? You get like a lot of voices mixed in, telling the story of the new romantic era, you know, the, from club culture to style culture. And Steve Strange is definitely the main, in my eyes, the main figure from the beginning to the end of, the, of, the, of this uh, new romantic. And this book is interesting in so many ways to me. I mean, this, this, this is one of these books that are hard to put down in a half an hour episode for me, I mean, because it deals with a lot of issues. Yeah, this book is definitely goes far beyond what I think the title sort of indicates. Because first of all, the book goes from 1975 to 1985 with a chapter for each year. Yeah. And he, in the beginning, he really talks a lot about the influences. So he talks a lot about David Bowie and Roxy Music and Brian Ferry and Krautrock, uh, Kraftwerk. <laughs> I'm trying to pronounce Uh-oh. that correctly. Uh, we got a lot of uh, interesting comments on our Wagner episode about pronunciation, so <laughs> doing my best here. Um, but you know, he gets into a lot of stuff that goes way beyond what I think uh, people might expect from the book. Um, yeah, you know, he situates the scene amongst all the other scenes that are going on and their influences and the impact that the scene has on things. And he gets into the politics of the era, which are really interesting and. So it's definitely a very in-depth look at not just this sort of little, what would seem almost like a kind of a small scene, but uh, he really uh, brings it out and fleshes it out into the whole, that, that 10 years in England and, and what it meant and what was going on politically and culturally. And, you know, it's interesting, he talks about the magazines and- yeah. the, you know, It was a small scene, but the small scene produced incredible amount of culture yeah that affected a lot of people in england and as well as me for instance because i purchased this music at, from time to time but even more importantly i was um really attached to the publications of that time for uh, coming out of england right um face magazine is probably the most famous yeah I remember id that. magazine you know they, those are like really sort of like like you're in your 20s and you have sort of interest in culture or pop culture, it's hard to avoid Face Magazine or I, you know, IG Magazine. And it's interesting that they were sort of the first of their kind because, you know, before that, there were fashion magazines, but they yeah. were strictly fashion. Yeah. Um, you know, and there were magazines for, you know, a lot of different things. There were music magazines, but they were strictly music. Whereas these, you know, for lack of a better word, he calls them style, you know, yes. magazines or whatever, but they sort of covered a lot of all of it, you know, the amalgamation of the fashion and the videos and the movies and what's going on. And um, so uh, it was a whole new kind of magazine. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting that it, 
given how many mag I mean, there's like a magazine for everything. And to think that it took until the 80s before there was that kind of a magazine. And these magazines are highly, highly um, uh, glossy and highly uh, designed. Yeah. So yeah. It, was, it was really the height of the of the graphic designer. I mean, you know, the, the making those magazines that period of time was the height of making print magazines. Oh, definitely. A lot of the yeah. graphic designers that worked on those magazines went on to become quite famous as graphic yes. designers. Yeah. And they and they did magnif magnificent work at the time doing these magazines. Yeah. You know, I started buying the face because it covered a lot of music. You know, it was like right. um, it was like and also it had color photographs of the musicians. Right. Yeah, the only thing we had was newsprint. You know, like yeah. I'm, I was totally obsessed with British culture and music. So I would buy like New Musical Express or Melody Maker, which is totally black and white at the time, yeah. a newsprint, newspaper. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you got Face Magazine, you know, uh, uh, it was a magazine called Blitz too, right? Actually, yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, which I don't know as well as Face. I remember it slightly, but. But the, but the focus on the face, because that was my sort of main magazine that I purchased yeah, and, and looked yeah. at. That was like the first, and I was like, wow, look at these, you know, these photographs. And, you know, they're so stylized to the max. And, of course, the new romantics are wearing makeup. You know, and we should make this point that the new romantics are, um, were heavily made up with makeup and very, very highly stylized and happily fashion oriented. Right. Well, that's another interesting point that he talks about is that, you know, all the gender bending and gay culture coming to the forefront um, during this time period. Um, so, you know, the people like Boy George and Annie Lennox and Grace Jones and Marilyn, they were all sort of playing around with gender identity. Yes. Um, and I thought it was really interesting because he talked a lot about um, how popular the gay clubs were. And um, surprisingly, they were actually quite popular even in the punk scene, which I, that I didn't know. That was unexpected. And it kind of mm -hmm. makes the point that uh, most of the people who write music history are straight men. So yeah. that's why you uh, don't hear about that. But um, yeah, they really had a big part in the promoting the culture. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And uh, first of all, I didn't, you know, Dylan Jones, I only know because he wrote a, a book about David Bowie, another oral history. I think it's called Bowie Alive. Yeah. And I, that's the only thing I know about Dylan Jones. And that is an excellent book, another oral history. This book yeah, yeah, yeah. David Bowie. But Dylan Jones is actually a huge, um, has a huge presence in the UK. He is the editor and the main philosopher of uh, Gentleman's Quarterly, better known as GQ magazine, but the British edition. And um, it's a lively, still to this day, it's a very lively publication. Um, and it's almost sort of like, it, it definitely has traces to the face and, and, and uh, ID magazine. I mean, it definitely is more related to that than say like the American GQ, which is sort of a different type of aesthetic in a way. The interesting thing is um, he doesn't actually sort of make it as clear as you might think but he was part of the scene himself. So yeah. he worked at the face. He worked at um, ID. Um, he went to the art schools that all these kids went to. He went to these clubs. He knew most of these people. It, it's interesting the way the book is structured because it is an oral history. And um, so it's lots of, you know, little quotes here and there, a nice mix of wide range of people and then he intersperses it with his own sort of contextualizing and giving mm -hmm. some background information about things just kind of to connect the dots and fill in the holes yeah. um but he was an active part of the scene himself and 
yeah, he's an interesting person. He's got quite an impressive resume. Um, some interesting uh, contradictions. Uh, apparently, he came out as being Tory in 2008, yep. but then he sort of walked that back a bit since. Uh, so I'm not quite sure what his politics are, but. Um, he hired Boris Johnson as a, yes. a, a, a honorable critic or uh, no, the, the car correspondent. I don't know what the hell that is, yeah. but that's hysterical. Uh, yeah, I don't know very much about Boris Johnson before, you know, the whole Brexit thing. That was when he sort of came on my radar. Uh -huh. um, and I'm kind of wondering if he was sort of like Trump in the sense that he was just yeah. kind of always a you know, wheeler dealer, you know, in the public eye, schmoozer kind yeah. of guy, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that was a little in interesting tidbit of information. To discuss. Very interesting, yeah. Very yeah. Interesting. The New Romantics reminds me of another era that Dylan Jones does not cover at all, at least, I, or maybe I missed it. But um, in the 1920s, there was a group called the Bright Young Things. Yeah. yeah. And the Bright Young Things were, you know, were part of Cecil Beaton's group. Cecil Beaton was a photographer, designer, right. a writer, artist, and uh, um, sort of a British version of Jean Cocteau of sorts, but you know. It's interesting, but he didn't really mention them in the book that I recall, but he does have a quote at the very beginning of the book from Brideshead Revisited, yeah, um, which is part of that whole era and scene. So that's kind of, uh, I guess, his little nod to the linking of that, but yeah, it's true. He didn't make that connection, which is definitely an interesting connection to make. Yeah. So, yeah, because I, I, I as I was reading the book, I was wondering why that wasn't brought up more, because the bright young things were, um, again, London orientated, uh, mostly aristocrats. I mean, they were like wealthy, wealthy kids, wealthy young people. Uh, the new romantics are not wealthy by, by all means. They were definitely uh, either working class. Or you know, definitely uh, not uh, uh, not aristocratic or not wealthy, right. you know, not, not from a wealthy class. So that's so that was interesting. And, and England at that time was going through strikes and it was going through a lot of hard times in, in the seventies and late. 70s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. He does get into the politics a lot, which is interesting, and especially sort of the contradictions because he sort of he talks a lot about Thatcherism and and how. Um, you know, a lot of these bands were quite ambitious and they were sort of falling in line with that, even though they sort of would say, well, you know, they would do these benefits for the minor strikes and act all lefty. But then, you know, they wanted to have lots of money and, you know, be yeah. riding on yachts and, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, taking vacations, you know, in the, the Caribbean. And <laughs> so, Very important. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was interesting because he talks a lot about that sort of uh, tension between those things. And yeah. What an interesting era it was in England. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And so the you know, the main figureheads or the inspiration for the New Romantics were two figures, as far as I can see, uh, Mr. David Bowie. Yes. And Mr. Brian Ferry. Yeah, well, those are pretty good uh, figureheads, <laughs> I would say. I, I, I'll go along with that. <laughs> yeah, there was a funny quote somewhere, I think, in the beginning of the book, they were talking about. Uh, uh, Brian Ferry and um, David Bowie as being style I icons, and they said they never wore denim. <laughs> <laughs> they were always immaculately dressed. Very important. Never a crease out of place. Never, never. But it's interesting too because he does uh, mention a very important thing about how David Bowie went to the Blitz Club. Uh -huh. and he so Bowie was actually sort of influenced by the scene that was influenced by him. He went and he got a bunch of the kids from the club, and they were in his Ashes to Ashes video. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's fun to see the back and forth that went along. And, and, you know, Bowie sort of really had his worst era in the 80s, in most people's opinion. And I yeah, concur with that. Um, you know, right think. when all these bands were sort of doing so much more interesting work than him. Yeah. And same with Brian Ferry, really. You know, it's uh, they sort of had lulls while these bands were, you know, doing their best work. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the new romantic bands or the aesthetic came upon the scene when when Bowie and Ferry were not strong in that in that period of time. Yeah, like aesthetically at least. Yeah, we needed to recharge for sure. So, do you have a favorite new romantic figure from this book? <laughs> You know, it was so funny reading this book because, you know, obviously you and I were both around in this era uh-huh. and we remember it pretty well. And um, I've hardly listened to any of this music <laughs> since then. <laughs> I, I can't say any of it has really stuck with me in any kind of profound way. I mean, I liked a lot of it at the time um, and I still have some of the records, but um, I don't know if there's anything that I would say, oh, yeah, I still think that's so great i mean a lot of it sounds so the same to me and it's interesting because he'd spent he did talk a lot about you know the importance of the synthesizer in the music and you know yeah. the, time, the synthesizer yeah. was a very new tool it was just you know it'd been around for a while but it was only just starting to be you know relatively affordable and accessible to anyone yeah and it was interesting he talked about how you know the donna summer song i feel love that's produced by jojo Moroto such a huge influence and um but now when i listen to it you know that synthesis they all sound the same in every single yeah. song to me so you know the synthesizer was still it wasn't very well developed yet and so when i listen to any of this music it's, it's hard for me to differentiate one band from the other <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine did point out that some of the songs are actually quite good you know like if you you play them on an acoustic guitar or whatever you can see that the underlying song is quite good Actually, I'm a, I actually I like this music period a lot. Do you? Yeah. So, yeah. who are your favorites? I know you like ABC. You were a yeah, huge yeah. ABC fan. Yeah, yeah. ABC is great. I love yeah. ABC. I love ABC. I love. Um, actually, I love. I like Passage a lot. You know, the Steve Strange band, or uh-huh. it's not really a band. They're actually sort of well, they're a band. It's, it's Visage is like a super group of um, members of magazine Ultravox, but and and they have Steve Strange as the singer and the main figurehead. Uh-huh. And I like I like I like the Saj a lot, especially the song um, "Mind of a Toy." Right. Okay. I'm very fond of that song. <laughs> I played it earlier today. In fact, did you to get in the mood? <laughs> get in the mood. <laughs> and of course, I like you know, like Adam Ant. You know, Adam and his ants, which I like. Yeah, a little, I loved right? I loved Adam and the ants back in the day. Yeah, yeah I haven't listened to them in ages. That I find like really great. Uh huh. Yeah. Did you? Like uh, Duran Duran. <laughs> Duran Duran's okay, but not like my favorite yeah, band of the time. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how uh, wide a swath of bands. I mean, you have everything from, you know, the bands that you've just mentioned, which were sort of a little bit more uh-huh. of the arty bands, but then you had the bigger bands like Duran Duran and Wham and Spandau Ballet. I mean, it's interesting. He did make the point that, you know, this was kind of a second British invasion and that there were more bands in the top four more british bands in the u.s top 40 in the early 80s than back at the height of the british invasion in the 60s which is i didn't realize that that was kind of interesting yeah um and he talks a lot about the importance of mtv which you know all these sort of visual elements really kind of came together in that era you know it was 
the scene yeah. started out being, you know, very clothes obsessed. It was mostly art school students, fashion students. And so they were already very visual. And then MTV came along. And so they were like perfect for MTV. Um, when MTV started, like at least half or more of the videos were British bands because they were the ones that had these really exciting visual videos. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, the New Romantic was definitely made for, for MTV. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching MTV like crazy when it first came out. You know, I was in my late teens and um, it was heaven for me. And then it was just like all these amazing visuals. It was so much fun. I mean, I look at that stuff now and I kind of laugh, but, you know, at the time I loved it. <laughs> so of the bands like they talk about a lot is bands um, uh, like, for instance, uh, uh, like Spandau Ballet are obvious. Visage yeah. is obvious. Uh, Ultravox, the later part of Ultravox, is obvious. But it's such, but the, the, that sound is such a, a wide scope of artists involved, you know. And yeah. it's, uh, that's why this book is kind of is, is so vast. But it's not like you know, like there is a new romantic. We have an idea what a new romantic sound is, but there's so many different artists involved that it's it's hard to. Uh, tie everybody into that particular time or moment. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the bands in the book, I never would have expected, I wouldn't have qualified them as new romantic. I would have said more maybe new wave or something, but, um, yeah. you know, and then, I mean, there's bands like Wham and, you know, George Michael, and to me, that's just pop. I don't know. I don't, um, but they were from the era. They were very visually oriented. Yeah. And so, you know, Soft Cell is another band that gets a lot of coverage. I yeah, like I love Soft Cell. Soft Cell, they're yeah. great. Yeah, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he does talk a lot about, you know, how the gay rights movement really accelerated during this era. And, you know, I think it was helped a lot by a lot of these bands. Um, but, you know, it also he also talks about, you know, George Michael having difficulty in coming out. So it was still... Mm -hmm. It was an interesting transitional era, you know, it's like all these people were wearing makeup, but they weren't quite saying, you know, what their sexuality was, or they were just kind of leaving it up in the air. Um, yeah. And actually, it's a strange throwback of the new romantic era. And maybe, you know, there's, a, there's an era where managers and scenesters made the scene happen, like in, like in uh, British Invasion time, people like Brian Epstein. Right. And, you know, people like Simon Napier Bell, who's actually managed Wham! in Japan. Right. Yeah. yeah, he's in the book a lot. Yeah. Uh, but he also did early Mark Bowen and, you know, the Yardbirds. Mm -hmm. And the Romantic was almost the last, the last sort of grouping where, where management, scenesters, designers, and journalists sort of made the new Romantic. Right. In a way, you know, I mean, there are the, the participants who went to the clubs, did the makeup, but there was this sort of incredible background of um of other people who either try to make money off it or try to expand it or just right. basically to report it you know and then the yeah. face becomes the magazine the face becomes sort of the the tabloid of the movement or the right. you, know, you know the foundation of sorts right i mean it's interesting because he talks about a lot of the people that are being quoted are, are not just the musicians, but it's also, you know, it's the fashion designers, it's the photographers, it's the club owners, it's the DJs, it's the music journalists, um, you know, it's the producers. Um, you know, it was interesting how many sort of different creative energies came from the scene. You know, it wasn't just yeah. the musicians, but like you say, it was the whole, the whole thing and everybody was working together. And you know, he does talk a lot about how the music industry was very different back then. There was just cash flowing, you know, people had a lot of money yeah. to do all kinds of crazy things. 
it's it's kind of completely the opposite of what it is now but um you know yeah. he was talking about how you know this is when cds came out and so the record companies were just making tons of money off people like buying their you know record collection over again you know and so they had a lot of money to spend technically i'm going the third time around with that. yeah i know right now you're you bought cds you got rid of your vinyl and now you're getting your vinyl again Tosh. as so a kid funny. i bought vinyl sold the vinyl <laughs> buy the cds and now i'm back to vinyl. <laughs> and on a personal note we both of us worked at a record store sort of the height of the of the new romance yeah right? yeah you know? we worked at a record store in the early to mid 80s so yeah which is what we were flinging every day pringles of hollywood that was sort of like the album or the hype of the moment remember that right. now didn't we actually have an in-store with one of these bands was I it think... the Cash mode or was it omd uh, i know we had it i know yeah. we had an in-store with one of those synth bands i can't remember which one now but it was one of the ones that was on the big side as i recall yeah but yeah i liked omd a lot and you asked me who's my favorite but you know uh, we actually didn't talk about uh japan and david sylvian i like yeah i i love those last couple of japan albums and i'm a huge david sylvian fan so me too and yeah. but you know, you know, oddly enough that's like it's i mean i guess technically you can argue that they're part of the new romantic you know movement or or I era looked it visually they looked it, yeah. yeah but they had but, the hair and the makeup Oh yeah, they had the hair and makeup. <laughs> no doubt about that. But it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting how Japan sort of distanced themselves from from that era. Yeah, I mean, I think that. David Sylvian was embarrassed by all of that. Um, yeah, he certainly definitely wanted to go in a different direction. From and Soft Cell is different too, because though they're an electronic dual band, they're sort of more like a sleazy. Um, writing about you know, they wrote about like Soho. So uh, London life, you know, nightclub uh -huh. life and sort of gay uh -huh. culture life and stuff like right. that. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. He did talk about how this was sort of the height of the synth duo. I mean, a lot yeah. of these bands were duos, which is, uh, you know, it, it was definitely a scene that was rebelling against the guitar centric, you know, yeah. early 70s. And then I was laughing because I was thinking, yeah, and then after that, you know, the the rebellion against all these synth bands was you know grunge and and brit pop you know the yeah. bad culture of brit pop so they went back to the guitars again you know, they went back to the guitars is. and guys who are guys yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> i think we need another uh it's except for suede suede has sort of a feminine uh mm, that's quality true. to the to their, yeah, to yeah, to their yeah. look there's music. always outliers Yes, um, has an outlier. <laughs> but it is funny how these things cycle through, you know. You think we're we're gonna have another new romantic uh, movement? Uh, I don't know. Something would be nice. It seems like there hasn't been anything since like the '90s. I mean, what has there been? I don't know. The kids today—they seem kind of boring to me. <laughs> Maybe because I'm getting old. I don't know. Uh, well, that's a, good, you know, that's a good point to make because these people from the new romantic era are not boring. No, I mean, even if you don't like it, it's still, I would say, even if this isn't music that you like, this is still a super fascinating book because yeah. it's just interesting to read about how this subculture developed, how it was yeah. influenced, how it influenced others, how, you know, any, and like a city gets really into the politics of the era, which are really interesting. And it really gets into music too. I mean, it talks about, um, you know, like they talk about Kraftwerk, Kraftwerk. <laughs> it's okay you can just say it in american way craft work <laughs> <laughs> they uh they deal i mean they deal he definitely goes you know a little bit of the, you know he goes into the punk era 
Yeah, he actually talks a lot about the punk era because yeah. he starts in 75, which is yeah. really before all of this started. So he talks a lot about the Sex Pistols yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. You know, he talks about Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren. So, yeah, it's definitely a much broader portrait of the era than just this the subculture. He fits yeah. it into everything else that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I really enjoyed the book. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of this music isn't stuff I really listen too much anymore yeah um, even though I, I you know i enjoyed it at the time but uh the book itself is a fascinating very fascinating read it's a great book yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a really good book and i think yeah, it, yeah and, it, and it is fascinating yeah. and Billy jones voice or character uh is not super strong it doesn't overtake the the, the editorial no he's surprisingly objective and it was interesting because i didn't do any research on him until after mm-hmm. i read the book and i was surprised by a lot of the things that i discovered about him yeah because he did a good job of you know sort of setting himself in the background of the narrative despite being in it yes and i have to point out there's a lot of writers i mean there's some writers i really like of that era one is robert elm who was part of the um who was a music fashion journalist at the time uh-huh uh, and he's quoted in the book, and I like Paul Morley yeah. a lot too. He's sort of a, uh, he's sort of a, uh, the brain. No, well, I won't say the brain, but he's sort of a. He's the one who theorizes music culture quite greatly. And he actually joined ZZT uh, record label, and he's actually kind of responsible uh, for Frankie Goes to Hollywood and, and the other artists on that label. He wrote all their uh, PR and their sort of manifesto and stuff like that. Now it's interesting. Frankie Goes to Hollywood now. Do you think people remember their music more or the t-shirts? T-shirts, <laughs> t-shirts right? Frankie says, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. You know, um, yeah, you know, it's kind of very interesting because it's their song "Relax." All twelve hundred mixes I've heard. Right. <laughs> Three hundred hours worth. It's a great record. You know, it's a great, uh-huh. like, powerful, like, uh, uh, Trevor Horn production. Everything. Right. You know, everything, it, it's like a Phil Spector production, but done in the 80s, so it's 80s uh-huh. with technology. And it's yeah. like crazy, you know, but people are so suspicious of them. Like, are they a real band? Is this the hype? There's a yeah. t-shirt thing, you know. Yeah, like yeah. rock and roll people would be suspicious of stuff like that, even though they go out and buy rock t-shirts themselves. Right, right. <laughs> no, the think, t-shirts were great, though. I mean, but do you remember the shocking aspect? And when I like to tease uh, certain people who worked at Licorice Pizza, because I would play. Frankie goes to Hollywood, and the one song I played over again was their version of Bruce Springsteen's "Born to Run." <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> you don't remember. You don't remember. You don't remember the outrage. <laughs> that sounds like you something you would do, though, because you were constantly doing things like that. <laughs> the outrage at that time was pretty amazing. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. Yes, yes, because that was the time when uh, Bruce was at his height as well. <laughs> at, at his height. <laughs> so yes, sweet dreams from club culture to style culture. The story of the new romantics, that's the title. But as we both know, Kimley, it goes beyond the new romantics. It goes before, it goes after, it goes under, it goes over the new romantics. And it is probably one of the best books on or regarding the new romantics. It's about a lot more than that. It's got a heavy dose of David Bowie and Brian Ferry, so you can't go wrong. So if you're into like 80s music, you would, you would definitely want to read this. If you're a new romantic yourself, <laughs> of course you'll read it. It's a, it's a good cultural, like a basic cultural history. And I don't think, um, 
again, you know, there's certain books you read that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be into the music or into that culture. I think a total outsider who's just interested in reading about music history, for instance, would find this book. Yeah. Well, I'm just, you know, how a culture can be so pervasive in a small, yeah. you know, starts out as a small thing and ends up being such a pervasive element. It's so interesting because the people who participated, uh, like Gary Kemp, uh, Steve Strange, and others are very, very articulate in the book. Yeah, no, these are all pretty intelligent people, yeah. pretty um, self-aware. Um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of them, you know, when they started, they sort of had artistic pretensions and, you know, they weren't interested in being pop bands. They were interested in doing something that they saw as being, you know, more artistic. Yeah. Yeah. And then there were a lot of them who were just like, oh, yeah, fuck, we want to be the biggest band in the world, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but they were all pretty... Um, upfront about what their intentions were yeah um, yeah everybody was pretty straightforward and and articulate and intelligent and i mean obviously it was an interesting scene so um a lot of uh, a lot of successful people came out of this scene that are still working to this day yeah in and various people are, fields. In, in various fields not to solve from yeah. music that right yeah graphic arts designers Editors, yeah, like, I mean, I think yeah. the people who weren't musicians are the ones who are still the, yeah. <laughs> the most successful, probably. Yeah. You know, all the fashion designers and the photographers and the writers. And tragically, Steve Strange died about five years ago. Yeah, uh, and he had a yeah. he had a sort of a rough life after um, the uh, New Romantic era. Uh, yeah. But I saw on YouTube at, uh, his funeral, and it was pretty big. <laughs> oh wow! I bet. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people were there, and it was pretty. It was kind of it was kind of moving to watch. It was it was uh, he was definitely a presence for a lot of people, an important figure. I'm sure. I'm you know, sure. So it's, uh, and if he let you in the club, well, man, what a privilege! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you passed the Steve Strange uh, test. The doorman, yes, and and Boy George is hired to handle the uh, the coats. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, he apparently took- he got. He got uh, fired for stealing, right? Yeah. <laughs> from, from people's coats. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this book is full of lots of uh, fun, fun stories for yeah. sure. <laughs> it, is, it is. So once again, the book is Sweet Dreams from Club Culture to Style Culture, the story of the new romantics by Dylan Jones, published by Faber and Faber, who do a lot of great, for their great publish, British publishing house. Yeah. But the book is out now. You can get it now in all your favorite bookstores. Or, yeah, it's online. brand new. It just came out like a week or two ago, I think. Yeah. And it's it's about uh, 600 pages. Don't let that scare you. <laughs> it's, it's a hefty tome. <laughs> it's a hefty tome, but it's a page turner. Uh, yeah. and, and these people's stories are all uh, unique and all profound and uh, touching. And uh, again, very articulate and smart. Absolutely. Bunch of smart people involved. <laughs> That's what we like. Yeah, we like do. Smart, smart, creative people. Right. <laughs> all right. Well. Next time, we are going to be sticking in the late 70s, early 80s, but we're going to be in the U.S. this time. We're going to be talking about Recombo DNA, the story of Devo, or how the 60s became the 80s by Kevin C. Smith. That should be another interesting book. Yes. This is our third book in a row in this era. We're going to have to do something completely different next time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I just want to say goodbye to our listeners. And hopefully, uh, well, first you have a, you have your little spill. Oh, my little spiel. Yes. Yeah, right. so definitely, definitely follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter for all the latest news. And we have playlists 
Tosh is going to be in charge of this playlist, which means it's going to uh -oh. be fantastic. So look forward to that. Mm -hmm. We have the list on Spotify and Apple Music, and you can find everything, links to everything on our website at bookmusic.com, B-O-O-K-M-U-S-I-K.com. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everybody. Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you uh, later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.